Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey, bro. It's Russo'sBrand.com. Get the real shoot for the most controversial personality in pro wrestling, Vince Russo. Stevie Richards Fitness. Hey, don't you think it's time for a band new you? Head over to StevieRichardsFitness.com and join the SRF resistance today. ProWrestlingTees.com. Get the coolest merchandise from your favorite independent pro wrestling talent worldwide. Head over to ProWrestlingTees.com and support indie wrestling today. The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. Wednesday, April 1st, 2020, and you are tuned in to the series finale of HTM Sports here, presented by the HTM Podcast Network Online, HittingTheMarks.com, and Hameen Media Online, HackerHameen.Podbean.com. This week's show brought to you by The Brosters, and of course, The War on Morons Podcast. Find them at WarOnMorons.Podbean.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the real RBV, Rick. I'm sorry that we're recording this like an hour and a half late, and it was just, you know, the wife had to go to the store, and you, you know, you know, quarantine. Hey, you know what? All good things come to those that wait, and yes, it is me, it's me, it's that auto that beat it, the Rick Vickery, back again, back, quite possibly for the last time ever, at hashtag HTM Sports, unless Jargo, this is your moment to come clean. This might is this been like the two and a half year rib that you've been pulling on us? This is the day update, April first, April Fool's Day. Are you going to pull the curtain back and reveal it to us that you're not going anywhere? Yes, yes, I will. I, I will pull the curtain back. I'm not going anywhere. The HTM Podcast Network will continue as regularly scheduled going forward. I'll be in the Monday locker room at Hacker Hami, and it was it was all just a bad joke. I'm not going anywhere. That's that's my april fool's joke no this will be the last edition of htm sports at least on a weekly basis but you know sometimes things just happen and you know you end up getting quarantined and i'll just send rick a message and be like hey man you want to do a sports show because you know what else are we going to talk about um and which is funny because that's kind of how the sports show started you just hit me up and you were like hey jargo let's do a sports show and I was like, all right, the, the world of wrestling is kind of boring right now. It was kind of that off season, like in August or something like that. And I was like, all right, sure. Yeah, let's let's do a sports show. We'll fi- we figure it'll be about a half hour every week. And now that's become somehow like an hour and a half. And it's ironic that we sit here to record the final sports show on a week when there is no sports. This is actually week three in the world without sports. Hell, this morning, Huckleberry. My, my youngest daughter, Quinn, all of her teachers and well, really all the teachers at Van Buren Elementary School here in Cedar Rapids, they all had like a little parade where all the teachers were in their cars and they had written notes to the kids on the windows and stuff. And this is the world that we live in now, man. And it, it really sucks, but it sucks even more without sports. I see, you know, these parades, are, they're starting to catch on. Yeah, it's, it's kind of becoming a thing now. 
I seen, you know, a bunch of, as you said, the teachers there, they kind of rallied together. That's going to be a, a cool little experience for They actually the had a police escort even like in the front and the back. That's, that's very cool. I, I'd seen that in my Northern hometown of you Ohio, that the schools got together. They, the teachers had organized something very similar. They were going through the neighborhood hawking and, and just giving, you know, bring a little bit of joy and a, a smile to the faces of the residents. Everyone that's you know, it's, it's starting to go a little stir crazy and you got to believe, you know, here in Ohio, and this is, this is taking place everywhere. We're seeing just the local extensions and the more regulations and restrictions put into place, but coast to coast, we get the message from president Trump the other day. And you really, it just felt like, you know, cause it was originally, okay, give it two weeks. We're going to reassess this thing. So everyone's looking to eye on the prize that light at the end of the tunnel, two weeks, it's almost like you're you're a convict. You've been locked up, and you're up for parole. And then Trump comes out, and the warden's like, "Well, we gotta we gotta extend your sentence another thirty days." I think that's starting to get to people. Yeah, I, I think people are definitely starting to get a little bit stir crazy. And you you sent me this great interview with uh, Mr. Mark Cuban the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, and he is talking about trying to get the NBA basically back as soon as he possibly can. And it wasn't so much that he just really wants the NBA back. It was that he was talking about how people need something to cheer for. They need something to rally around. We need that sense of community. And I mean, we see it a little bit on social media, but it's just, it's not the same. It's it's not the same in any way, shape or form. Rick, how is your world without sports? Because let me tell you, man, mine is just absolutely freaking miserable. You know, I've had a few conversations about this, you know, where people, and believe me, where they're like, see, you know, they're making the comparison, you know, well, we can live without sports. It's not that important. Well, that's not the case. And I don't think in any situation that anyone is trying to suggest that sports are the end all be all and we absolutely need them back to, to thrive as a society, that's not the case, but they do play an important role. I mean, we hold them to such a high standard and such a high regard because of how impactful they can be just inside of our personal lives. It's an escape. It's something you, you can kind of live through. And as you said, it rallies communities together. Uh, it, it rallies just society as a whole. I mean, it, coast to coast around the globe, you can get behind the spirit of competition and what that means. And it is that great escape. So in that sense, yes, that's what we need. That is what we absolutely need right now. They're in everything that's going on. But even that bigger picture here is it is so impactful when it comes to the financial aspects in our society. As you know, it's dry. It's when it returns for us, it, it gives you that sense that it's okay to go on and resume your life, that you can go out to restaurants. You can go out and socialize and catch the big game or discuss the hot topics that are going on in, in a given market or with franchise or whatever it might be. And those things begin and it, it opens up travel and you want to get back to those major events and all that. When we even look at the financial impact, it's so incredible what something as a simple game has evolved into. Yeah, especially the economic impact. That's that's one of the things that's going to just feel ripples all throughout communities. And it's not just, you know, 
the the, the local stores that you're seeing. It's the mom and pop stores. It's going to be all the restaurants. It's the hotels. It's the tourism business that these traveling sports teams really bring to the table. And there is just tens of millions of dollars being left on the table right now. And everybody is kind of turning to the past. We're seeing a lot of ESPN is running old games and Fox Sports 1 is even stooped to the level of picking up WWE content. Um, but Rick, there was this big documentary. And I think the first time that I heard about The Last Dance was like two years ago. And this thing, they've been working on it. It's going to be a 10-part documentary about the 97 Bulls, one of the greatest sports teams in history. Of course, this during the, the middle of Michael Jordan's return to basketball and the three-peat that was the second three-peat for the Bulls. Um, Rick, before we get any further into this thing, I have to play this clip of audio because if this doesn't just send shivers down your spine, I don't know what will. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and a happy Father's Day to dance all around the world. The Chicago Bulls welcome the world's greatest fans to the United Center. Tonight's Game 6 of the NBA Finals is between the Tonight's 
know, when I think of those 90 Chicago Bulls teams, that damn Alan Parsons Project song just immediately comes into my head. The Chicago Bulls intro in the mid-90s was ridiculous. But that one, dude, that one in 96 against the Seattle Supersonics, which I hold near and dear to my heart. I know you do, too. They boo that team out of the freaking building. And then they are cheering so loud when the Bulls are introduced. You can't even hear Michael Jordan's name over the PA system. I came across this clip this morning. Holy shit, dude. It's ridiculous how over that team was. Like everybody, it, it was Yankee stuff, man. Like everybody loves the Yankees. I've said that for years. You either love to watch them win or you love to watch them lose. Everybody loved that 90s Bulls team. Absolutely. A little fun note to get going on this Bulls conversation. I was actually in attendance when Jordan made his return. Really? Uh, I was there in in Indiana. They were taking on the Pacers. And it it was just i mean, such an incredible moment when he takes the floor there. But it still it felt weird because of the 45. Right. I actually have a 45 jersey. Wow. Uh, and it, it, what's crazy about that is it was, abs- it was actually the first NBA game that I had attended. And it was already planning on going to that game, had everything arranged and all that, prior to knowing this was the return. So to be there, I mean, just by chance, to be there for this amazing part of history. Well, and what's crazy, I, I, I sent you the article this morning. There's a fantastic piece over at ESPN.com right now talking about Jordan's baseball career. And one thing that I think people forget, it wasn't like Jordan just left baseball because he stunk at it and he wanted to go back to playing basketball. He left because he didn't want to have anything to do with that strike in 1994. That was the whole reason that Jordan left and returned to the NBA. Well, if you trust the article and the timeline, but there's other circumstances that we can... There's conspiracy theories afoot. Since we've been doing this show, I've I've always slapped you with those things, and this is since this is the last the last go around, the last hurrah, and this is something I know you've been overly excited for since you've heard that this project was in the works. So I'll, I'll take the high road today, Jargo. We'll we'll talk about uh, better memories and the better telling of the tale here. But it, when you get into this documentary, and as we said, this is years in the making, but you got to just kind of think about what it took to put this thing together, the the telling of one of the greatest stories in all of sports history. And really, can you imagine that, you know, just this entire run with the bulls, not just kind of hand selecting and picking out this moment, this final ride, if you will. I mean, just the rise of this franchise and not just what it meant to Chicago, not what it meant to the NBA, but really all of sports. The whole makeup and dynamic across the board in professional sports, it really evolved from Michael Jordan and this Bulls run. I'll go one bigger. Jordan was the beginning of the brand. Jordan was the first brand. He was the first global brand. And now everybody is worried about their brand. But Jordan was the first one. I had that in my notes here. As we're looking about, you know, about how the NBA in itself evolved and we can look at the different generations and the stars who stood out and who we talk about from each of those eras. And we, you know, one of the greatest things we can ever do is have 
that amazing debate of who is the GOAT across anything, but especially it seems to get very heated inside of basketball as the ears were, they, they are, are so contrast to one another. But as the NBA was, it was in, it was in trouble. And it never was really a tremendous boom. It was always kind of a distant to, you know, even baseball was the King Kong. Uh, it even seemed to take, you know, it was even behind the NFL who struggled there for a while. I mean, it was for a while. I mean, you'd, you'd have it kind of there neck and neck with the NHL. It was in trouble. And yes, it was the in the 80s when you had the runs of the Celtics and you had Showtime. They helped save the game there. But it wasn't until Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls came along that you really saw the evolution of this game. And and inside of that, as you mentioned, it became about Air Jordan. And it became about that individual brand and having that superstar who's going to make that direct connect with the fans. It's going to bring them to this entirely new level. And you're absolutely right, Jargo. And inside the NBA, they're a league that more than anybody – embraces the individual brands and letting the the fans get as close as they possibly can to the individuals themselves. Now we do see it in other sports, but there is nobody that has adapted to that and really survived on that concept than the NBA. And Jordan hit at the right time. I mean, because there, there is a very, very dark side to Michael Jeffrey Jordan. I don't think there's any question about that, but Michael Jordan could not have existed the way that he did in the era of social media. There's just absolutely no way that that would have happened. The gambling addiction, the cigars, the, the, the booze, all of it. Nobody talks about that with Jordan. Like they do a lot of other people throughout the course of history. Like he's protected from all of that. But LeBron he lives in the era of the freaking social media. LeBron can't even sneeze in public without somebody getting on social media and going absolutely insane. I'd make the comparison really to professional wrestling again. Is We look now at how the pro wrestlers, they handle themselves on social media. And, and really, and you're right across the board, but make, to keep the link there of how they have to protect themselves today as opposed to going back to that generation of the Attitude Era and beyond that. Where, you know, it was the rock star life. It was drugs. It was alcohol. It was women. So you really had Michael Jordan on the surface and in his presentation and then compared to his private life, it was very comparable to a Ric Flair. Yeah. But without the gimmick. You know, like Jordan didn't go out and flaunt that he was all of this like Flair did. But yeah, behind the scenes, Jordan had quite the reputation. And I'm curious how much of that's going to come out in this documentary because he has always been protected from that. Well, yeah, you're right. It's it's about that timing. But as you know, you move away from that spotlight, he is right there where he has seemingly he's the brand in itself has taken on an existence of its own. You know, it's kind of like his Dr. Frankenstein's monster where we don't necessarily have to relate the man himself with the brand with the myth because it is it's grown to those epic proportions yeah absolutely and then there's also a lot of very other colorful personalities that'll be involved in this thing phil jackson's going to be involved in this thing scotty pippen dennis rodman tony kukoc 
I mean, there is Steve Kerr. Like, there is all kinds of very intriguing personalities here. I mean, anytime you have a camera on Dennis Rodman, it's must-see television. I mean, hell, he's basically the ambassador to North Korea at this point. Yeah, and I think, you know, especially with this being the last run, and you, you got to believe there's so many stories that they can tell here. One of them that's going to be of great interest to me is I, I'm really hoping for some personal perspective from Scottie Pippen. And, you know, maybe get dive, truly dive into those emotions when this team was turned over to him and the franchise began to struggle. And maybe those extra pressures that were applied to him is always being, you know, the Robin to the Batman, the, the arm to the Rick, you know, to, to stay on that comparison there. You know, what, what did that do to him? And we've all heard the stories you know, the, the heated rivalry between those two, obviously a tremendous respect factor in, in their professionalism. But, you know, the stories that have come to the surface, we've heard that it could get very intense at times between them. And I, I'm really looking forward to maybe shedding some more light and getting a better understanding of the dynamic there between those two stars. I mean, both listed in the 50 greatest of all time. Which side of the coin do you fall on? Is Scottie Pippen the most overrated player in NBA history, or is he the most underrated player in NBA history? Because I, let it be said, Michael Jordan never won a playoff series without Scottie Pippen. I know, and I, see, I don't think either conversation is really fair to have. I think it's it's kind of a disrespect to everyone that was involved in bringing this greatness to Chicago and what that franchise has represented now in the lore of all professional sports. Now, I'm not going to sit here and try to, to break down, you know, positively or negatively someone for, for entering into the right position at the right time. I mean, that's the whole story of life. It's about who you surround yourself with falling into a situation at the right time. Again, I still stand by the belief of, you know, I'm not ever going to be mad at somebody or show a negativity towards somebody because they're born on second base. You still got to take that ball, take that opportunity, run with it, and do the best that you can. How many other times have we seen? I mean, you look at the talent here, hell, even the the egos, the attitudes. How many times have we seen that across the board in professional sports? And it is absolutely disastrous that it it, it blows up in everyone's face. But they were able to maintain this thing, not just for a championship, not just for a few years. They're bona fide one of the greatest dynasties in all of sports history. Well, and let's not pretend like the two rosters are comparable, right? I mean, like you can pick out Bill Cartwright from the original triple and then you can, you know, go to Luke Longley and be like, okay, that's a pretty fair comparison. But that's pretty much where it ends. Because, I mean, then you're getting into, would you rather have Horace Grant or would you rather have Dennis Rodman? And it's like, on numbers, Dennis Rodman was an absolute rebound machine. But when you think about chemistry in the locker room, Dennis Rodman could either be the best thing for that locker room or the worst thing for that locker room. Whereas Horace Grant's just going to sit in the corner. Like very different personalities. I think you're selling Horace Grant short here. He was somebody that was probably one of the the more vocal, or maybe not like vocal, but you know through his body language, his just overall leadership and what he brought to that locker room to hold, as I've mentioned, 
all of those egos, these egos and those personalities together. So much so that later on in his career, Horace Grant would be brought in it when he's aging and the knees are giving. Not so much because of his talent. It was because of what he represented inside of the locker room. So I, you look at something like along those lines, you're making that comparison as we transition from Grant to Rodman. Hell, if they would have flipped, flipped roles and we've seen Rodman there early, we might not be talking about this tremendous dynasty because he might have been one of those cancers inside of there that would have sank this ship. So it is about timing top to bottom. You know, you, you lose a Paxson, you bring in a Kerr. You, you, f- you figure out those role players. You you build around this incredible puzzle. And absolutely at the top of that, the, the crowning achievement, the crown jewel is Michael Jordan. And then you got Pippen. But you can go year to year and you, you go through this roster. And especially for those of us that lived it. I mean, that was in the prime of the boom for the NBA. We're coming up. You know, we're in our teens, early 20s, loving professional sports at that point. We can go up and down those rosters and talk about the greatness of damn near everybody from the starters down to the end of the bench. Except for BJ Armstrong. I'm just kidding, BJ. We love you. Uh, the 90s Bulls, man. What When I say the 90s Bulls, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Because for me, it's that series against the Sonics. Because, man, I wanted the Sonics to beat the fucking Bulls. Yeah, when we're breaking down the games, absolutely. Uh, that was one of the because that's when you really started to okay. Now let, let's see another team come in here. Who can take these guys down? We're not necessarily you're rooting against them, but you're looking for that that next team because the just the dominance. Well, we I mean, saw it, it with the Warriors too. Everybody wanted the Warriors to get beat. Yes. And that comes with the territory once, you know, you continue to go to the well that many times. Because it was fun with the Bulls as Jordan's making his rise. You know, obviously, overall, my impression would be, you know, just looking back at the evolution of the game and to see them to finally overcome the Pistons and then to go take down Showtime and kind of see that passing of the torch there from Magic to, to Jordan. That series is ridiculous. And, you know, as, as they begin their run, but you're always looking for those hot flavors. And that Sonics team, man, they were stacked for that season. Well, and it was Lob City before Lob City was a thing. Like, they, the, what they were doing up there in Seattle was a completely different brand of basketball that we had seen inside of the NBA before. Like, nobody shit-talked more than Gary Payton, and nobody dunked more than Sean Kemp. Yeah, they, they truly, it was kind of like you took the UNLV running rebels of the early nineties and took that, that style of play to the NBA. Yep. And that's what the Sonics represented. That's I mean, I was really invested in the series with the, with the Suns. Yeah. Uh, you know, Barkley goes to Phoenix in base around trying him. To get a championship. Well, we that's a whole conversation inside of itself, looking at that era of how many Hall of Famers were denied championships. And that's what makes Jordan the GOAT. It, because of this this dynasty here. This, that's what oh. makes Jordan the GOAT. I, I forget who it was that said it. I, I Man, I wish I could remember because that was a great quote. But it was something to the extent of... Was it Gary, was it Gary Payton? It might have been. But it was something to the extent of, you know, when, when Jordan was playing... Nobody got rings other than Jordan. Jordan denied everybody 
LeBron, everybody gets a ring. Everybody can beat LeBron in the finals. Like, it's just a, a merry-go-round of who's going to get themselves a ring. Jordan? Nope. It's my ring. That's what makes Jordan the GOAT. You know, and it was about if you could fill a spot there, if you wanted the ring, you had to go to Chicago. And you had to go and, through Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Oh, you had to sign there. You didn't have to go through him. You had to play alongside of him. It was pretty much the only way you're getting there. Either that or he goes, he goes to play baseball. And then you get a team. <laughs> well, but you talk about, I mean, look at the team they had down there in Houston for those two years. Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was I mean, you almost got to believe, you know, to me, the great debate isn't, you know, trying to sit here and put a value on truly on, you know, what Jordan could have done without the role players or, or what the role players could have done without Jordan or the greatest player or franchise. To me, the great debate is, could that Houston Rockets team have been able to pick them off one of those two years? I don't think so. I don't, I, I don't know, so. especially in that second year when you bring in Clyde. Man. I don't know, man. That that would have been, I mean, probably we're talking about rivalries and going into a championship game for those two years. Well, you know the one I would have liked to have seen was because then, of course, after this three-peat is basically when it all gets blown up. Right. So so Michael goes off to Washington and Phil goes off to L.A. and like the whole thing kind of gets blown up. How would they have stacked up against that Spurs team that was on the rise? Because that Twin Towers with David Robinson and Tim Duncan, I don't know if the Bulls would have had the size to match up with the Spurs. Well, again, though, you, you know, we can. Who are they going to bring in? Who do they rally around them? I mean, it's it's a great for the bait, tremendous conversation. But again, you know, that's where you see the game beginning to evolve. And when we talk about Jordan's influence there, just not the style of play in the league and the branding itself. You look at the the talents today that we're talking about in the same breath as a Jordan, or we're talking about how the athleticism of the league and in the style of play. Jordan's the godfather of that. Of modern era basketball, he is the godfather of that. And more so, and, and I know there will be some people out there that would want to you know, challenge me on, oh, no, I mean, you got to go to who influenced him. When Michael Jordan came in and the way he changed the game is far different than anything that we had seen. It, certainly, he has sampled some things from, from magic and made that transition, but he took it to a completely different level and inspired you know, even, you know, two generations worth of players to this very day. Okay, but it, that has now changed. Are we going to talk about Steph Curry like this in 20 years? Because Steph Curry has completely changed the way that the NBA is being run. The, the three-point shot is more important than ever in the modern-day NBA, and it's all because of Steph Curry. Absolutely. And I, I will give him credit there. And it's just, I mean, the game has evolved since Jordan. I'm just saying that the, the, the basic roots, the foundation of how the game has went, you know, it doesn't, this game doesn't resemble almost anything from the eighties. No. I mean, when Jordan, when Jordan did what Jordan did, hand checking was still legal. Yes. So I, You've had Jordan. When you're talking about the evolution of modern basketball, you have, yes, you have the Showtime, you have Magic. But Jordan takes it to such a level that begins this drastic change. And then you have LeBron. 
And then you have, again, that next level with Curry. And, and now I think we are probably into that point where we will be talking in 10, 15, 20 years about how Curry took it and did exactly the same thing that Michael Jordan did. So what's the next evolution? Is it somebody like Shaq coming in again? Somebody who's seven foot three, 350 pounds and can just go in the paint and just freaking pound everybody. Is, is that the next thing? Is that the next evolution the NBA is going to go to? Well, I think you also look at I me. Mean, it's, it's going to run its course alongside of the trends in society. You know, you get into that where you're playing a little bit, you know, stronger defense, you're slowing down your offense. You can kick it inside like that. You're going to slow down the game a little bit. And now, is that going to be something that, you know, this millennial who is their target demographic, is it something they're going to involve there that they will evolve into? Or are they going to be able to continue on with this trend of high paced, give it to me now, instant gratification, these high scoring affairs up and down? We don't want to stop the game for fouls. You can have a little leeway with inside the rules there as long as you get this quick flow going. You know, it's all going to be dictated by how society itself handles things. And the rule changes is one of the biggest things that can't go overstated. I mean, when you get into this, the the greatest teams of all time, like if you were going to take that Warriors team from a couple of years ago and you were going to put them against this Bulls team, you know, who's going to win? Well, I don't know. Are we playing right now or are we playing in 1997? Because under the rules in 1997, the Bulls would have ate the Warriors alive. If the Bulls couldn't play that style of basketball, the Warriors would probably outshoot them. Well, how I many you get to this? If you're playing in the modern day, I mean, half the Bulls would be fouled out by halftime. I, I, I'm not sure that Rodman would actually get six minutes on the floor. That's what I'm saying. I mean, could you imagine, like, the bad boys, the Pistons have to play in this era? You know, playing. No way. I mean, they couldn't. You they know? would be like in week one of the season, they would be all be suspended for the year. Well, and by comparison, you couldn't take that Warriors team and drop them into Detroit in 1988. The Pistons would have just whipped their ass. They would have just plain right. beat them up. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's good. It, it, each step along this evolution, I mean, it could revert back to that. You could have, and what's going to be very interesting, and this is going to come up again, is when we start talking about Major League Baseball. When you have such a, a I would say a panic, uh, but a crisis situation like we are dealing with right now, it is going to have a major influence on the trends in within society. You go back to 9-11. And you look at the major sports leagues and how, you know, who was able to adapt, who changed their presentation or even their basic structure to kind of feed the needs of the public, of their consumers. No one did that better than the NFL. Now, they were already through, you know, through the 90s on that rise, but it, you know, going into the early 2000s, coming out of a tragedy. Coming out of that crisis, they took it to another level. And at that point, they absolutely blew away every other sports league in this country. So the last dance, it premieres April 19th on Sunday nights. 
It's going to go on for a series of five weeks uh, through May 17th. I'm really, really looking forward to it. it it's going to be a fascinating story. Um, oh, and it's going to be on Netflix for anybody not inside the United States. I think that's uh, an important note, too, because there was a lot of international Jordan fans. Well, again, this is this is probably you got to believe this. That is driven by the NBA as they yeah. make this conscious effort to move forward, realizing how many how much of their audience has cut the cord. Yeah. And to be able to reach them with this piece of history. To give them a bigger understanding and make you know a more value and a, a bigger connection towards this game. So let's throw it over to a word from our friends over at the Brosters, so you can hear about Vince Russo's personal coffee, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk some NBA. Well, kind of. We'll be right back, bro. If you're a real coffee lover, then you've got to try Brosters Limited Edition Vince Russo Bro Coffee. Available right now at www.thebroasters.com. This limited edition coffee is fresh roasted weekly and shipped directly to your door. You will love the Nicaraguan blend with roasted chocolatey notes when you smell it. Get your Vince Russo Bro Coffee today at thebroasters.com and follow them at Coffee Broasters today on Twitter. Enjoy the best coffee today, bro. From Broasters, Vince Russo Brand, and Hameen Media Group. Well, Huckleberry ESPN, they're looking for content, and they're looking for content hard. And the eSports takeover is upon us. Uh, Rick, this is pretty genius and a little bit scary all at the same time, depending on what this is going to do as far as the television rating. Airing this Friday, um, and then Sunday the 5th, Tuesday the 7th, and the finals on the 11th, they are going to have an NBA 2K20 tournament featuring NBA stars. I am fascinated to see what this does for viewership, man. I really am. Are people going to tune in so that they can watch Kevin Durant play against Derek Jones Jr. at NBA 2K20? I don't know. I think this is going to be a smashing success for them. You know, we've had this conversation going back to, you know, the early rumblings of what is going to happen with sports and how important it is going to be for all of these leagues to continue to make that connection, to continue to reach out and look for that next step. What is the evolution? And the NBA, again, that target demographic is those 20s, early 30s, that millennial group, those ones that are cutting the cord, that are more electronically connected than any generation ever before. This is this is a perfect move for them. I would almost be, I would say maybe the major concern is the, the potential of overwhelming success here. Yeah. And what it and what it's gonna do for esports. And if if they could figure out, okay, we can go this route and this is going to be a much cheaperly produced, you know, presentation programming for these networks. I mean, this could really, this could seriously put a dent in maybe some of those mid major lesser sports. And the winner is going to receive $100,000 for the coronavirus charity of their choosing. So people are going to check this thing out. And if the games are good, I'm with you, man. I am terrified that this thing is fantastic. 
And I mean, ESPN can produce this. They're going to get like one, two, three, four days worth of programming out of this damn thing. And it's basically going to cost them a hundred grand because I mean, what's the actual production cost for this? It's basically nothing. These guys could be doing this right now on Twitch. Absolutely. And you're taking it from that platform to, you know, obviously the much larger platform where now we're going to involve where we're talking mere pennies on a dollar. Now you can get in some serious advertising. You can see this thing starting to, to generate some serious revenue for you. I was having a conversation with MSG a couple of weeks ago. Is we and it, it kind of took a twist inside the conversation where, you know, I've never really seen the the big upside in streaming our podcast over the Twitch with the camera and all that stuff. I'm with you. I freaking hate it. I think it's stupid. And I've always been of the belief, you know, be radio or be television. And, you know, his counter, and it's a fair point. He said, Rick, he said, look around, you know, what, what do you see on, on daytime television for, you know, FS and, and ESPN? They're, they're showing you the live feeds of their studios, the radio shows. And I said, well, it's not necessarily for, for viewership. That's the reason we're getting those things in the afternoon. That's cheap production for them. Exactly. What do you think it actually costs to produce Undisputed? I mean, that's, that's a three camera show. Yes. And, and you're doubling down on content. You're I not mean, really creating anything new. You're just throwing in a couple cameras and what, maybe a handful of production. I'm running the same setup for our mania review show. I'm going to have a triple box set up and then I'm going to have one camera set on each one of us. I mean, it's literally the undisputed setup. It's just, they have a nicer studio than we do. Absolutely. And, you know, and inside, and how many people, and I'd love to see a poll on this thing. Guys, I did look at their numbers. And when you look at daytime television, they hold up pretty well. But you got to even, you take into account what that is. It's background noise for somebody at work that just goes to a website and then, you know, is opening other programs on that. Well, why has Judge Judy been so successful for so long? It's a three camera shot. All you need is the freaking set. Absolutely. And so, so if they can figure out a way to say, okay, you could see this replace those shows or, you know, this, you know, really on these slow nights, instead of showing Mac football or basketball, what is, you know, what's your return on investment in that where you're sending major production crews out to Oxford, Ohio to get a red, uh, a red Hawks game as they're taking on the Toledo green wave and you're, you're pulling minimal ratings. What do you think is going to have more viewers AEW dynamite or the first round of this NBA 2k 20 tournament? I, if, if I'm a bet, if, if I'm a betting man and I got to throw down some coin on this thing, I'd probably go in favor of this uh, NBA 2k tournament. You think they can get a million viewers for this? Do you think a million people will tune in to watch Kevin Durant play fucking video games? Because if so, fuck the NBA, man. ESPN is going to be all over this shit. Just give me the best NBA 2K20 players in the fucking world and we'll put them on every fucking Friday night. Well, I think, you know, you look at this thing coming. I love the time, you know, the times that they're running this thing. 
if you, you really, and I, th- I think they've done a great job at this point of marketing this thing. You know, they're running some ads on, you know, the, the, their social media platforms across, you know, on their television platforms. And I think the spectacle of it coming out of the gate, it's not, you know, that's what's going to not surprise me about seeing a, a tremendous turnout for this. And again, it's the ultimate success is going to come in the presentation, how interactive it feels, how engaging the athletes are going with their back and forth. I think that's going to be the appeal to this thing. And to me, I'm not worried about the downside. What do they have to lose at this point? They tried something in a time where you're almost throwing anything against the wall to see what it sticks. And as crazy as it sounds, going back to what, what we talked about here in just a moment ago is the potential for this thing to be an overwhelming success. The other thing that I love that they did with this thing, now all of a sudden guys are going to have a reason to get pissed off about their ratings inside of the game because they seeded this thing off of the player rating inside of the game. So Kevin Durant is the number one seed with a rating of 96 inside of NBA 2K20. And then the number 16 seed is Derek Jones Jr. with a rating of 78. So, Rick, by my estimation, my player, DJ Quinn, should be the number three seed in this tournament because I'm an 89 rating, and that's higher than Hassan Whiteside. So I, the way I figure it, I should be inside of this tournament. So with when they're seeding this thing, uh, who they, is it going to be like the the career mode you're playing where they control themselves, no. one player? I think they're going to play like full on where they have control of everybody on the team. Okay. And, and that, which how do they select their team? Well, I assume that you have to play as the team that you are, right? Like if, if I'm Kevin Durant, I've got to play with the, the Brooklyn Nets, right? But I think – but again, you're talking about, you know, well, no, that, that can't extra... be right because then who does DeMarcus Cousins play as? Because he's not right. even in the league right now. Right. So I think maybe he gets like a wild card. But I mean, there's you could take this thing in so many directions. But I love how you're talking about now the players themselves, you know, is you get the agents involved and you get their representation and their PR team and all this. You're looking at the game trying to, you know, finagle your way. Well, hold on, well, hold on here. You know, why am I down here? Because I mean, ultimately, that could be using negotiating contracts fuck yeah is, my player goes far beyond you know merchandise and what happens actually on the floor i mean look at the the huge boom now that we're witnessing of these esports and how important and marketable he is here but let's say you know as i reason i was asking who do they play with who are they representing inside of this game what if you know you're kevin durant and you're playing as the lakers right now and he goes out there and gets embarrassed by somebody else. How does, you know, how does somebody make the connect to that? Like, see, Lakers, you know, you know that's going to happen. Oh man, yeah, it's it's going to be uh, very. I, interesting. I know it's I know it sounds crazy, you know, when you say it out loud, but really think about it. You get down to the nuts and bolts of that conversation, you know, it's going to be a topic somewhere. They're going to start analyzing, you know, not just who was handling each team, who the the player representation was, but how the actual players. The digital players looked on the floor. I like it. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we have one league that is looking to the future. We're, we're looking at esports and and all these different media ways that we can get fans involved. And then there's baseball. 
baseball Rick for one reason or another is insistent on doing a 162 game season. Even if we start the season on Memorial day, they don't give a shit if the world series is still going on when it comes to Thanksgiving. They want to play 162 games. Here's a quote that's going to hit near and dear to your heart. It's from Reds catcher Tucker Barnhart. It goes without saying as players, we want to play as many games, not only because we love playing, but also because we want to make as much money as possible. That's the God's honest truth about it. So now they're even contemplating going to seven inning games just so we can have double headers to move the season along faster. Rick, this is asinine. Why is baseball so stuck on playing 162 games? This goes back to what I was talking about. Especially in a time like this, where we have a crisis situation and our lives have been drastically changed. And you got to believe, you know, as we, as we will, we, we will heal. We will move forward as a society, as a nation, but it will ultimately be in a different direction. And the importance that sports is going to play in that, you look at these pro leagues, I mean, across the board, it could be pro, it could be minor, it could be amateur, whatever it's going to be, even outside of sports entertainment, how are they going to adapt? How are they going to change how they operate? How are they going to evolve with society? And again, going back and referencing you know, 9-11, the NFL was, was all over that. They were so prepared to help in that healing process, to move society forward, and hell, uh, the government saw such an importance in it that they paid the NFL to help in that process. Where baseball, again, is trying to, you know, they're just stuck in their way, stuck in their past, believing that they still are America's pastime. Well, yeah, America's passed you by. And that's why you're seeing this drastic decline in your numbers across the board, in your, hell, in your merchandise sales, in your advertising value, your TV rights, your attendance. And just overall, your perception in the public eye, you're seen as this dinosaur, this fossil in a society that is moving at a much more rapid pace. Baseball is still holding on to the days where every the whole town shuts down on Sunday. You can't do anything. You can't go out. The, you can't go banking, banking. You can't go socialize anywhere. That's the generation. That's the time frame that baseball is stuck in. And again, you look at some of this. This is just absolutely asinine inside of itself. You're set on 162 games, but you're willing to sacrifice three innings of that. Right. Right. Doesn't that essentially doesn't that essentially turn into a wash? Doesn't and it make comes any down, sense. And I am, you know, I I am happy to see that someone took a realistic approach to this thing because I'm so tired of hearing from the blowhard diehards. The traditionalists in baseball, oh, if if we finagle or adjust anything inside the scheduling, it's it's going to be a false representation of the statistics in our cherished record book. Get out of here with that bullshit. I mean, you've already – I mean, hell, the season's been expanded a couple times throughout the course of baseball. I mean, you're now you're playing with expanding the playoffs. So you're already – tampering with those numbers well hell you allowed steroids into the league for a couple of years just to bring fans back and now you shun all the players that were taking the fucking things yeah and that that was gonna be my bigger point you look at all of the scandals and just not the steroids i mean hell you you had your greenies going on 
baseball is held true to that. And as much as they want to deny it, it is a foundation that they're built on. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. And that's what baseball has always been about. But they want to give this presentation that they're the cookie cutter, white faced baby. Well, guess what? Nobody wants an Opie Taylor anymore. We moved on from that. Bart Simpson's old news now, okay? And you guys are still living in Mayberry. It's time to get up to speed here. We don't want to see a Turkey Day classic. You've already extended this thing out where people are, I mean, they're leaving in droves. The interest is almost faded away. It is almost transparent with baseball. And they're not looking at anything to solve this. This is a chance for everybody across the board to, to take your game Fix what's wrong. Give a new presentation. Give new hope, new direction for your consumers. Baseball, I'm sorry. You keep this up, you're going to continue to be lost and left behind the others in this pack. Now, I don't want to like overextend this point, but this one drives me nuts. Minor league baseball and minor league baseball players are going to stop being paid as of May 31st if this thing continues past that. If they're looking at a Memorial Day opening day, Rick, there, there's no way minor league baseball even starts before May 31st. There's no way because it's going to start like two weeks after major league season. Absolutely. And these major league players who are so irritated by this, I'm looking at you, Reds catcher Tucker Barnhart. We want to make as much money as possible. Okay, well, you know what? If you're up there and you're making the league minimum in Major League Baseball is $555,000 a year, all right? You are still going to play baseball and make your $555,000 a year and be living a much better life than anybody else on this planet who's paying to watch baseball. The minor league players, on the other hand, aren't making $555,000 a year. Hell, there's going to be a lot of players that are going to have to go back to, you know, regular jobs and stop playing baseball. This is not good for the sport in any way, shape, or form either. The major league teams can afford to pay these minor league players. What the fuck is the problem here? Well, I, I'd even suggest, and I don't really get into the financials, because obviously any profession that you're in, any industry it might be, your your goal, the main objective is to make as much possible money as you can. And, and I am thankful that you have somebody actually come out and address it this way. Because, you know, I'm tired of this lip service. Uh, where, you know, it's because of the love of the game and the tradition, the values that this is built on. They, they don't care about that. This is a job to them. And he, he lays it out there, and he's perfectly honest about it. But, you know, my rebuttal to this would be, well, how about, Instead of, to me, this is going out there and procrastinating on your job, knowing that, okay, I've got a 40-hour work week. So I'm just going to take my time, do it at whatever pace I want, just to make sure I hit my 40 hours. Shouldn't a bigger incentive be that if you scaled the season back a little bit more and you and you made it where it is more of a, an exciting experience, you know, on field instead of all these gimmicks that you see at these ballparks that they rely on, you know, the pet night, the, the dollar dogs, the disco night giveaway, whatever the hell it might be. If you can actually focus in on what's happening on the field, you know, one, you wouldn't have to extend nets up and down the foul lines because people would be paying attention to you. But wouldn't that drive higher interest? 
which means more people are going to be tuning in at home, which is going to drive your rating, which means higher advertising, which means the networks are going to be more in demand. They're going to pay higher. That slice, is, that slice of the pie is going to come to the players. And you're going to have more people moving their answers through that gate. Major League Baseball is at an all-time low for attendance. And it's it, that's exactly why. So instead of suffering through 81 of these home games, if you cut that back to 60, now you become more of a must, an on-demand, must-be-there product. And there is more of an urgency for you to win more games to make that postseason. Whatever the case might be, you're creating a bigger interest inside of your sport. That's going to create more revenue, which you're going to get that slice of that pie for. I feel like we got to figure something out for these minor leaguers. Otherwise, it's going to be bad for the future of the sport. I mean, the the less prospects you have playing, the less prospects coming up through the farm system, you're still going to have the same old players retiring. That This is not good for baseball. Well, you're and even look at this. You're looking at people. It just, I mean, how often do we see this in the, in college sports? Okay, I, I could go. I could go to baseball, or I'm going to the NFL. Obviously, yeah. In the long run, again, because you just steady is the is the pace in baseball. But they know they can. They're going to get better exposure. They're going to get better advertising dollars. They're going to get quicker money up front but a shorter career in the NFL. And that's why they choose that route time and time again. Yeah, because these players in single-A ball and double-A ball and the rookie league, I mean, once you start getting into triple-A, it changes a little bit. But especially the lower levels of minor league baseball, it's not like these guys are making bank. They're they're not making really much of anything. It's a, it's a passion, you know, hoping that one day – and it's a very small percentage of them are going to to get that ultimate payoff. So let's go ahead. Let's throw it over to a word from our friends over at the Moron Morons podcast. And then we're going to talk about some morons. We're going to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. My words, infidels. I've greenlit my latest cell, and it's the War on Morons podcast. That's right, the world's full of morons, but I've sent Jay and Anissa to declare war on them. From the stupid criminals to those Florida man stories you love, and the other idiots of Hollywood and D.C., these new Hamid soldiers speak the truth, the stupidity in a fun and comical manner. Each week, these two will be bringing on friends and all these crazy characters to give you the punk rock comedy news show you didn't even know that you needed. But you have it now that you're under quarantine. You will listen, infidels. And that's right, there's a bit of uncertainty every week from the live hotline so you never know who's going to call into the show. <laughs> so plant your flag in the sand. Grab your friends and suit up, because the War on Morons has commenced, infidels. Visit them now and subscribe at thewaronmorons.podbean.com. YOLO! <laughs> oh, Huckleberry, the rumor mill is a starting to turn that the Miami Dolphins want Joe Burrow and they want Joe Burrow bad. And they're sitting there with 14 draft picks, three first rounders 
and they're going to be getting the Cincinnati Bengals on the phone. They already have the number five pick. They got the number 18 pick from Pittsburgh when they got the Minka Fitzpatrick deal done. And then they have the Texans number 26 pick thanks to Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills. The Dolphins also hold two second-round picks, and next year they have two first-round picks and two second-round picks. But, Rick, if the Cincinnati Bengals do that, not only are they going to lose out on Joe Burrow, chances are they're also going to lose out on Tua Tungabailoa because it sounds like the Detroit Lions want him with the number three pick. So, Huckleberry, what do your beloved Bengals do? Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, you are looking at a, a deep class here. But you know, real quick, you know, I, I took the high road here on your Jordan thing. And the last show, this is the second shot at Cincinnati you've taken here. Back to back segments. I'm not even taking a shot at Cincinnati here. I'm looking at the reality. The Bengals currently have three picks in the top 100 in this year's draft. They have the number one pick, the number 33 pick, and the number 65 pick. And I'm looking at the Miami Dolphins with 14 picks, three first rounders. Like, why wouldn't Cincinnati trade out of this thing? Even if you draft Joe Burrow, you're still going to be awful. Why don't you start collecting some talent? Absolutely. I, I agree with you. They make this phone call. You know, it's about negotiating, though, what you feel is the best deal for the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, if you are Mike Brown, you're going to be the one answering the phone here in the 513. I'm all about this thing. I'm starting off with, I want all three of your first round picks. Well, that was my first question. Do you want all three of the first round picks or do you want number five, number 18, and one of the picks from next year? Well, you know, let me finish. I want all three of your picks this year and we're talking picks next year. Because let's listen to everybody here. You got to sell this thing if you're Mike Brown. You got to get them to buy in to this hype and let them know, hey, they keep him in SEC country. This is a, a once-in-a-generation player. He's We're getting comparisons to a Joe Montana. This is going to be your franchise boom. He's going to do something for you down there in South Beach, South Beach that Dan Marino could never do. I mean, that's your selling point. You have got to get them to buy all in on Burrow. And you collect all these things. And in, hell, there is a good possibility, even with all three of these picks, and you know, and you try to get something for next year, but if all three of these picks, they're not going to come in and make immediate impacts. You're building for that future. There's a good chance you're in the running for, for Lawrence next year. So I, I, I'm curious, what do you think is the best deal here, though? I mean, well, and I guess part of it would depend on how you have this class evaluated. If you want all three this year and if you want like, you know, one of the second round picks this year too, and accumulate all four of those picks. Or if you want to go with like, you know, number five this year and then instead of 18, you trade for next year and the Dolphins pick because it's probably going to be higher than 18. So you get like, you know, number five this year number 26 this year, whatever the Dolphins pick is next year, as opposed to 518 and 26 this year. Uh, my, my conversation starts with all three this year, and then it continues. Then we start talking about if we're getting two through whatever you know rounds this year, or if we want to hold off for future picks, whatever that might be. But, you know, I'm, I'm setting 
my selling price right now. And you got to set it very high because, I mean, once you get into this conversation, word is going to spread around this league. And if you set that bar there, this is what we have requested from them. Anybody else wants to come up into the table and present us an offer? We're, we're open to hearing that. But you're going to have to beat, right? We have put out here the price tag for this number one overall. We have set the standard. Now it's in the hands of the market to come to us, the seller. Okay, so now I like to think that you're a little bit more educated than the average fan at this point after doing this show for a year and a half. How about the average person in Cincinnati? How would they respond to the Cincinnati Bengals passing on Joe Burrow? Would they be okay with this oh, or God. would they completely lose their fucking minds? Well, today's hot button issue in Cincinnati is the 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 fucking morons that are passing around and some people are well, this can't be true because it was. It, this is a hot news story that has been broken, not just on April Fool's Day, but from a WordPress.com news source. Oh God! <laughs> that the Pittsburgh Steelers have acquired the rights to Andy Dalton. <laughs> so, so Joe Burrow has kind of taken a back seat in the panic mode of what's happening here in the Queen, the real Queen City, the five one three Cincinnati OHIO. So, but I, I actually think you know is. I've told you as we've talked about this thing, this entire process that the fans here, they have taken this very personal from all of the outside platforms and the talking heads that, you know, pretty much they've been overly outspoken that this is a terrible situation for Joe Burrow to be in. And, it's, and as they point out, it's about the franchise itself. It's about the ownership in Mike Brown and everything that's been said is perfectly true. I've been on that side of the fence. I feel so bad for Joe Burrow. I mean, to work that hard, you know, just not for college, but your life to get to this point where this is going to be your profession. We're talking major, major stability, not for the current, not for 10 years, but for your generations of your family and to potentially have that all that taken away from you simply because the system is sending you to the worst possible situation. It's, it's unwinnable. It's unfair. But the fans here have taken it so personal where it's an attack on the city. It's an attack on them. They, they have, they've come with them. So they have rallied behind the idea that, yes, Burrow belongs here. He is going to save this franchise. But just as much as they are hard-headed in that stance, as stubborn as they are, I believe they'd be real quick to, to change their tune if this move was pulled. It might be a little reluctant at first, but I think once they see the, the city is very, very adaptable. And they're used to changing their direction. And it's just kind of a nature with our professional sports teams. They're used to disappointment. That that, yes. that was a nice way of saying they're used to disappointment. It, it's gotten to the it's gotten to the point where, you know, like inside of pro wrestling, where yeah. WWE has been selling their product as poor to mediocre for so long that when you do get that run of the mill. So many fans, they consider exceptional creative now. You, and that's where sports, that's where sports is at in Cincinnati. You brought up Andy Dalton. There's also a report out today. The New England Patriots are not interested in Andy Dalton. They're also not interested in Cam Newton. 
really? 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 They are all in on this tank for Trevor thing, aren't they? Hashtag tank for Trevor, but or tank gate, whatever you want to go with there. I, I still don't know. You know, the cam thing was always because we know the situation there. I think they're still really, I think they're going to have a conversation with Dalton. If that comes to fruition or not, who knows? But I think they want to see when he's available on that open market, what kind of deal they can get. Why negotiate right now when you know that he, why would you give the Bengals anything when you know he's going to be available for restructuring and bringing him in under your own deal on a fresh start where you don't have to give anything away, really? I think the bigger question here, if the Bengals would trade out of that number one, move down to that five, do they feel comfortable in getting a quarterback that they can see running this franchise for the future? But, I mean, what about, you know, for the questions for the immediate, the now? Do you believe that 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 whoever you would take there anywhere in that first round to quarterback position as they do now at Burrow where the plan is that he is going to be given the keys to the kingdom day one? Or do you look to that outside market and who is available there? Do you bring in a cam for two years? Do you get a Winston? I was going to say, how is Jameis Winston not getting job offers? 5,000 yards, 30 touchdowns. And again, I think that's because right now of this draft class, how deep they are at that quarterback position, you want to reevaluate, see what you can get through this draft, see what these other negotiations are right now, and then you go look for that need because you want to see, you know, how high these quarterbacks go, how that's going to influence, you know, their that rookie worth on the market, and that's going to dictate kind of what his value is as well. So they're all kind of waiting to see where that swing and that curve heads for how much, you know, they're going to need to invest in him and what, and I also think, you know, it, it could be a, it could be a huge negative. It could drive his value down. Or if you're looking at some, you know, if you're Jameis Winston and you see a team like the Bengals who has made a move like that, who is in desperate need now of a quarterback, you've increased your value to a team like that. What do you make of Detroit being interested in Tua at number three? Do you like that? Man, that, that's a tricky one there. I mean, you hate to see – I mean, it's, it's only a matter of time before Detroit. You know, things are wearing very thin up there. That, that fan base, again, is growing very impatient. It, it's time, to, you know, to get them back on the hook. Their fan base is very similar to that of Cincinnati, where mediocre is exceptional. And it's just, you know, every few years you got to make kind of that, that seemingly sexy pick, that move that is going to, I guess, keep the smoke in the eyes of that fan base. And I mean, this isn't a shot at, at the Lions Nation, the faithful up there. Believe me, I, I know their pain. I know what they go through because in Ohio, I don't know if it's just maybe it's just a whole little strip of the Midwest from Cincinnati, Detroit, Cleveland there included. Uh, it just it seems to be the mentality of those franchises. Well, you know, we started off the show talking about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, and of course, Michael Jordan did not finish his career in Chicago. He finished it as a member of the Washington Wizards, even though nobody ever wants to talk about that. Tom Brady also not finishing his career in New England. It's going to be super weird seeing Tom Brady in a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform. But, Rick, now the Tom Brady effect is kind of starting to ripple 
all throughout the NFL and teams with their franchise starting quarterbacks, especially one that's getting older, are starting to wonder, is he going to finish his career here or is he going to have to move on and go somewhere else? And one of those names is Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers says, my thing is legacy is really important. Having an opportunity to do it all in Green Bay would mean a lot to me. He would go on to say, I've got four years left on my deal. I'd like to play all four at a really, really high level. And I feel like keep on keeping on from that point to do it. I feel confident right now. I'm going to be 40 when the deal ends. And I feel like I can keep going after that way, the way things have been going. So Green Bay would find themselves in a very, very similar situation to where New England is. And Rick, the question is out there. The Packers have the number 24 pick in this year's draft. They also have 10 picks cumulative inside of this year's draft, so they could move up if they feel the need to. Should the Green Bay Packers draft the heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers at this point? What I think is is really funny here, and because now Brady made this move, that you do feel this sense of urgency in the fans, the media, management, the owners themselves, they start looking at this situation. But is it really anything new? Just in even inside of sports? I think it's just so emphasized because it's not just Brady. It's also Phillip Rivers, who has also kind of always been regarded as that, you know, can you imagine Phillip Rivers anywhere other than in a Chargers uniform? Right. Okay, okay, but even, okay, Peyton Manning. Yeah. Joe Montana. Joe Montana. Uh, I mean, hell, you go back to I mean, the very beginning. Johnny Unitas. Yeah. It, it, you see this. You know, they still have a value there. You know, when they get away from those heydays, those those championship runs, I mean, it's across the board. Well, hell, we even saw it in Green Bay with Brett Favre when he went. That's, and, that's, and that's what it really sticks out to me is you're sitting here saying that Green Bay has that 24th pick. Well, Aaron Rodgers, you went around that 24th pick. Yeah. And, and when it happened, is you're saying that, you know, Rodgers is saying here he feels that he can still go in any competition against anyone, that he's not going to be beat out for his job. That sounds like a lot of things that Brett Favre was saying when you came into camp there, Sonny. And Green Bay is such a peculiar position because they don't have an owner. Um, they're owned by the city. It's the smallest market in all of professional sports. The only other thing going on in Green Bay, Wisconsin, other than Lambeau Field, is Walmart. Um, they can't do what a lot of these other teams can do. Like the Chicago Bears, you could pay a quarterback to stay in Chicago for three years and easily rebuild. The Green Bay Packers do not have that luxury. And I felt that way with Brett Favre. And I'm sure, Rick, when this contract is up with Aaron Rodgers, I do not want them to re-sign him. And you got You think about this. Four years, correct? Yep. And negotiations going to start before that. You know, especially if they have some success inside the division, make a run through those playoffs. So you could be talking about as early as two years. And again, this is going to come down to where the marketplace is at. And who are the top paid quarterbacks around this point? It is that renegotiating begins. And at that time, Rodgers is going to have a little bit of pool. 
as in manipulating, you know, his participation at different events, OTAs, whatever it might be, he might be a little more difficult for management. They might start looking to try to move off and even save money then. All depends where they're at with the cap. And we're going to see some tremendous change just inside of the collective bargaining agreement. Well, the, the, the one advantage that Green Bay does have there, if you ever notice, Green Bay is really, really good in the draft because they have to be really, really good at the draft because we don't get free agents. I mean, in my entire life as a Green Bay Packers fan, I can think of one big name free agent that we have ever signed. And his name was Reggie White. That's it. I don't ever remember any other big free agent signing because nobody wants to go to Green Bay fucking Wisconsin. They want to go to Miami. They want to go to Dallas. They want to go to Los Angeles. Nobody wants to go to fucking Green Bay, especially in December and January. I was going to say, especially in a a winner-driven sport. Right. We don't get free agents. So when it comes to paying people, we try to pay our own talent. And even then, at least half of them end up fucking leaving. Is it time? And it's and that's one of those bold moves that you have to to make as a franchise. But you have to understand that, too, from from a player's perspective as well. I mean, it's it's the nature of the beast. It's part of the business is you reload at times. And it, I don't think it's any slight against anyone. I don't think they should ultimately see it as a disrespect. But inside of being that ultimate competitor, yes, you're going to have that drive. You know, you are looking towards that future and want to continue that you, you know, show that you can still perform at the highest of levels and you have a tremendous value for a franchise. And sometimes it takes uh, a shakeup like that, a fresh start somewhere. And hell, look what it's doing. You know, outside, we look at that big picture. Everyone knows the talk of the town, the bell of the ball is Tom Brady and what he means to Tampa right now. You know, what's not getting a lot of press is the tremendous buzz and the excitement that's going on up the road here, up 74 in Indianapolis. And what's happened around that court, you know, the Colts franchise. Yeah, especially in the Colts division. Because it's a much more winnable division than the NFC South. It's not like Phillip Rivers is going to have to face off with Drew Brees twice next year. But that's, uh, you know, going back to the conversation, we, you know, I think just last week we were talking about ranking the, the immediate success, the short-term, the 2020-2021 season. I got to tend to believe, and I can make some good arguments for this thing, that, that Phillip Rivers is going to have a, a better season here simply because of the opportunities that he's going to have. And the lower hurdles that are set in front of him. I sure as hell would rather be lining up against the Jaguars, the Titans, and the Texans to try to make my run towards the playoffs any day of the week over even the Falcons, you know, and then Carolina that, you know, they got to believe with two gloves that they're going to go to that next level. And those two showdowns you're going to have with the Saints. No, you, you could easily finish nine and seven and be the third best team in that division. Easily. Yes. And and opposed to finishing nine and seven in the AFC South, and you're hosting a playoff game. Yeah, no shit, no shit. So that's a wrap on HTM Sports. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been a, a, a lot of fun, Huckleberry. I'm glad that you had this crazy idea to do this. What? It's got to be about a year and a half that we've been doing the sports show now, right? Well, actually, you know, this thing was this thing was driven because we were we were struggling to find topics inside of professional wrestling. Remember, we started just opening up 
if it been the Hitting Mark Pro Wrestling Podcast and then that kind of trickled over into the Monday locker room, we would our intent was to open up with like five to ten minutes of sports talk. <laughs> we we'd find ourselves rambling on for thirty minutes. And that hardcore wrestling, you know, wrestling listener was kind of like, you guys need to get to the wrestling. But then we had a tremendous following that was like, no, we want the sports. Keep that up. So that was really where we came up with the creation. That's where we, as you said, when we were starting this thing, it was, we, let's really watch that 30 minute mark. Let's treat this thing like it would be airing on FS1 or on ESPN. And in our typical fashion, you know, being blowhards, we just, you know, now we look at the shows going an hour and a half. Hell, I remember once upon a time when uh, we, we wanted the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast to only be about an hour, and uh, then we started busting out like two and a half hour shows. Hell, I think we even did like a three hour show once. Remember we used to have two Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling? We, we had a dual release each week? Yeah, yeah. That got to be way too goddamn much work. So then I started doing like four other podcasts, because that seemed like a good idea. <laughs> This is fun, man. This was fun. Um, thanks for listening to HTM Sports, everybody. You can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo, although be aware, I am social media distancing. RBV, uh, you got all kinds of cool stuff going on, man. I even saw that your new podcast followed me on Twitter earlier. Yeah, I followed you back. As uh, here on April 1st, I thought that'd be very fitting as the fool of fools in this podcast game, me and myself. Uh, is you're moving on with Destino, the New Japan podcast. Is you're going to have that as a special project there? Is as you head on that Brock Lesnar, or even more of that New Japan tour schedule, which you're on. Yeah, pretty you're, much, you're, right? You're gonna you're gonna flood, flood, flood. You're gonna give people like four to five weeks of Jargo, and then we're gonna hear nothing from you for like three or four months. Yep, exactly. That's how it's gonna work. And then then you'll come back out on it. But no, I'm gonna move forward here, and I guess it's it's time I can make that announcement because. As we wrap up here, I'm heading right back to the office. We're going to have the grand launch of all the social media campaigns and the ads heading out there. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to be introducing the Hot Tag WrestleCast, and it's going to be a weekly program. So figuring out the exact day, but we do have a pilot debut date of April 15th. That's going to be a Wednesday. On uh, the show, I'm hoping to bring a much different structure than what the listeners are, are used to from the typical podcast. It's not going to be so time-sensitive. Uh, obviously, we're going to need to stay up to date and in touch and keep our fingers on the pulse of, of all the big news and happenings from around the world of professional wrestling. But we're not going to be so worried about the weekly reviews and details of each show. We want to kind of dive in and I'm going to take over a lot of those RBV isms, that 360 conversation where it's maybe a, 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 a more broader watch over the industry. And even inside of that, I'm going to be more in touch with, with the dirt sheets and the journalist side of it. We're regularly going to have them come on and talk about some of you know, the more marquee news items. And one of the regular features I'm very looking forward to, going to be very proud of, is doing business. Where we're going to bring in those actually from the inside of professional wrestling. Those who have experienced inside the squared circle, who have sat at gorilla position, who have put together iPay-per-views, who have have put together live events who promoted these things sold tickets about the, out there paper in the town to bring the listeners the consumers into really get more of an understanding of that aspect the side of professional wrestling and i've already set up a tremendous first guest that i'm very excited to sit down with and he's a brother of ours over at the homie media group and that is going to be chris silvio who's been with ovw with ring of honor with nxt 
with Impact Wrestling in He's got some very innovative things going on right now with his seminars. We're going to be talking about that. So, again, the Hot Tag WrestleCast with the RBV, Richard Bronson Victory. It's going to be making its way to everybody April 15th via the Hameen Media Group. Of course, we are not done yet. We've still got two nights of WrestleMania reviews that we've got to do. That's going to be going on live this weekend, Saturday and Sunday night, immediately after WrestleMania, twitch.tv backslash Hameen Media Group, myself, RBB, and our good friend, MSG. He's going to be hosting that show. And tomorrow, you and I, we are going to be sitting down to record the final episode of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. It's going to be our official WrestleMania preview. And then Monday in the locker room, we're going we're gonna to log on for a little bit, say our goodbyes, and close that motherfucker up one last time. Looking forward to it, RBB. Got a lot of shit to do. But for now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! See ya!